1986, there were released three Hollywood films that, on the surface at least, were very different. The first was an action drama aimed squarely at Hollywood's most loyal demographic, the 16 to 24 year old male. The second was a unique fusion of science fiction, horror and action adventure. While the third was a personal memoir that reflected upon a very dark episode in American history. Despite the disparate subject matter, these films proved so popular that their box office takings accounted for over 10% of Hollywood's entire gross for that year. I'm talking about Top Gun, Aliens and Platoon. What they had in common was that they each displayed the rather curious, sometimes fractious and increasingly complicated relationship Hollywood has with the US Armed Forces. This relationship has become so complicated it is now known as the Military Entertainment Complex. The vast majority of us have never lived in war. While some of us have witnessed its horrors, few have actually participated in combat. So, most of our understanding of war comes from cinema, above all, Hollywood cinema. And so, in order to feed that enormous entertainment machine, Hollywood restages old wars, as in Pearl Harbor, conjures future wars, such as Avatar, or creates contemporary fictional ones like Battle Los Angeles. At 1446 Pacific Standard Time, 12 different locations across the globe were breached in what appears to have been a coordinated attack by an unknown enemy. All breaches were along the coastline in what is a campaign of rapid dominance. This is a textbook military invasion. There are massive casualties in New York. Defensive lines are being set up in Boston, and at 13.15 Zulu time, we lost communications in San Francisco and San Diego. Their status is unknown. What we do know is that we are the last offensive force on the West Coast. We cannot lose Los Angeles. But this relationship is not new. In the late 1920s, the American War Department created an office to act as a conduit between the armed forces and the then still-fledgling motion picture industry. In fact, the very first film to win Best Picture at the Oscars was Wings, a World War I drama about young pilots. The top gun of the silent era, Wings had benefited from the newly forged relationship between Hollywood and the Department of Defense. Gentlemen, you are the top 1% of all naval aviators. The elite, best of the best. We'll make you better. Fly at least two combat missions a day, 10 classes in between, and evaluations of your performance. Now, in each combat sequence, you're going to meet a different challenge. Every encounter is going to be much more difficult. We're going to teach you to fly the F-14 right to the edge of the envelope, faster than you've ever flown before, more dangerous. Moving into the 1940s, Hollywood explicitly made films to assist in the war effort. So you had flat-out propaganda pictures such as Objective Burma, or propaganda pictures disguised as melodramas such as Casablanca, or propaganda documentaries such as the Why We Fight series. Now, a cynic would say that Hollywood was little more than a press agent for the Department of Defense. But 
with over 26,000 members of the film industry signed up for the armed services, Hollywood had recognised the threat to democracy and was standing steadfast alongside Washington in its efforts to rid the world of Adolf Hitler and Emperor Hirohito. Mr Vice President, Mr Speaker, members of the Senate of the House of Representatives, yesterday, December 7th, 1941, a date which will live in infamy. The United States of America was suddenly and deliberately attacked by naval and air forces of the Empire of Japan. Things have gotten a little murky since then. What with the Red Scare of the 1950s and the Vietnam War in the 60s, Hollywood began expressing dissent. Sam Fuller's Fixed Bayonets was followed by Stanley Kubrick's Dr. Strangelove. By the 1970s and 80s, some Hollywood films didn't even bother to seek cooperation from the Pentagon. For instance, Oliver Stone knew that his script for Platoon was so controversial he didn't even bother contacting them. However, producers Jerry Bruckheimer and Don Simpson bought their script for Top Gun directly to the Pentagon. Because the story was about a pilot, it relied very heavily on military hardware and technology, and they sensed the Pentagon would see the film as a recruitment tool. Top Gun is a landmark film for many reasons, and this is perhaps the main one. More than any other action picture, it launched Hollywood's technological obsession with military hardware. This occurred because Bruckheimer and Simpson agreed to change the script in return for access to that hardware and equipment. Similarly, it has recently been admitted that for Zero Dark Thirty, Oscar-winning writer Mark Bowl and Oscar-winning director Catherine Bigelow were pressurised by the CIA to remove some scenes which would have cast the agency in a negative light. We've located an individual we believe, based on detainee reporting, is bin Laden's courier. He's living in a house in Abbottabad, Pakistan, and we assess that one of the other occupants of the house is UBL. Excuse me. Uh, so, UBL, you got, you got an intel source on the ground? No. No? Okay, so how do you know it's Bin Laden? Because the truth is we've been on this op before, it was 07, and it wasn't Bin Laden, and we lost a couple of guys. The main reason Hollywood is so willing to do this is because Pentagon involvement automatically reduces the film's budget. Instead of having to hire all that military hardware, the Pentagon recognises the film can be, in effect, a two-hour advertisement which is sort of what happened when Top Gun was in theatres. The US Navy manned recruitment posts outside cinemas to secure the signatures of the eager young men who were all fired up by watching Tom Cruise race across the skies in an F-14 Tomcat. Over the decades, countless films have enjoyed military assistance. From Behind Enemy Lines to Zero Dark Thirty to Black Hawk Down, if you see the American military in a Hollywood film, chances are it was heavily subsidised by the US Department of Defence. When I go home, people ask me, hey, who? why do you do it, man? Why? 
some kind of war junkie? I won't say a goddamn word. What? They won't understand. They won't understand why we do it. They won't understand it's about the men next to you. And that's it. That's all it is. But where does that leave a film such as James Cameron's Aliens? That film is complete science fiction. It is set in the future, and the enemy isn't even human. How could the Pentagon request changes in return for assistance? The answer is they didn't, because they weren't even asked. However, I include Aliens because it brings into question a wider issue. The war picture is an important part of Hollywood's calorie-controlled diet. Now, I don't mean Hollywood invented the war story. There's war in the Bible, and Homer's Iliad weaves its entire plot through a series of wars. And since then, Shakespeare, Tolstoy and Ernest Hemingway, they've all used it. But today, it is more symbiotic, a military entertainment complex. And the sheer number of films that have military hardware to provide us with the thrills and spills normalises the presence of weaponry in our everyday lives. More than that, in The Matrix, when we hear Neo asking for guns, lots of guns, or see James Bond trying out his new personalised weapon of choice in Skyfall, or in the Iron Man series, where Tony Stark all but privatises the American military programme, what you have is a fetishization of firearms. Mr Stark, if we pick up now where we left off, Mr Stark, please. Yes, dear. Can I have your attention? Absolutely. Do you or do you not possess a specialized weapon? I do not. You do not? I do not. Well, it depends on how you define the word weapon. The Iron Man weapon. My device does not fit that description. How would you describe it? I would your describe device? it by defining it as what it is, Senator. As? Uh, it's a, mm, a high-tech prosthesis. <laughs> that is, that is, that's actually the most apt description I could make of it. It's a weapon. It's a weapon, Mr. Stark. I hate Please, to if your it's priority was actually the, the well-being... No, my priority of is to get the Iron Man weapon turned over to the people of the United States of America. Well, you can forget it. From handguns, rifles and machine guns to rocket launchers, missiles and Apache helicopters, anything that can kill is presented in the most attractive terms possible. And the most attractive? A movie star brandishing a sidearm. So, be it raw firepower, shiny surfaces, glowing colours or sleek designs, there is money to be made promoting weaponry. We gather here in memory of beautiful children. You came into the cafeteria and you could hear shotguns going off. It's a little like the way cigarettes used to appear so often in movies. Through endorsements with the stars, and by placing cigarettes in so many scenes, the tobacco industry conjured a romantic image of smoking that had very little to do with real life. For instance, you rarely if ever see anyone with a variety of cancers brought on by cigarettes. Likewise, you'd be very surprised to learn that the impact of a bullet can actually draw blood. You see, when it comes to securing the all-important PG-13 rating, the spurting of red stuff in a Hollywood film automatically puts you in the danger zone. And since you don't want to lose that young demographic, 
you make sure that while you spray plenty of bullets, you never splatter the blood. There's a movie coming out later in the year. It's based on an award-winning science fiction book called Ender's Game. Published in 1985, it has been on the US Marine Corps reading list for quite some time. In the story, aliens attack the Earth and a new breed of soldier is trained in our defense. The soldiers are children. What causes kids to kill? They started shooting everyone in the cafeteria. Someone fired at killing the driver. There have been shootings all across China. Il est mort, une balle dans la tête. Fue una noche violenta. Come on, fire! 